Well, church, I'm glad you're here. And those of you who are with us and uh, a part of this service, uh, maybe joining for the first time or have been joining the last number of weeks, we're so glad you're here. And uh, as we continue to step into this, uh, we all are kind of normalizing some things and getting used to those. And yet there's just some things you just can't get used to. And that is being separated from people and, and, and having those opportunities to just hug someone that you love that, uh, it, that you, you maybe see six feet away or, or whatever those things are. Some, I noticed the other day I had someone come by and I reached out to shake their hand and I went, oh, like that. And they backed away. And it's just, it's, it's not, I don't think, what we were created for. But we do have God to give us strength as we move through this. And so I want to pray for you just as we get into this message. Would you just take this moment and pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your love through Jesus, the power that you send through your Holy Spirit. I pray that right now. I pray in the hearts of people who are watching or listening that you would speak to them, that you would move into those places where there is lack that you would begin to rebuild in their heart trust and that, God, you would begin to cause us to grow up and to be people who journey, no matter what the journey looks like, whether it's through the valley of the shadow of death or whether it's through times of plenty, we want to journey with you with joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been on this journey with us, we have started out a long time ago in the book of Exodus, and I really felt called this last year to do this study through Exodus, and so we did that through the fall where we just talked about um, a way out, because that's what the Exodus was, and raising Moses, and then, and then going from there, we started into the plagues around in January, or I think it was February, and it was a kind of eerie how that mirrored what was going on with this coronavirus and and now they've been set free free and they've walked through that sea and they're on this journey and so we've called this leg of this story journey with joy because I believe what God is seeking to teach in his people is this deep sense of trust that no matter what is going on our, our eyes can be on who he is and we can really grow and understand who we are in relationship to him. And that's the truth, that he is a good, good father who loves you and you are his son and daughter and he wants you to live in that no matter what circumstances are going on. And, and one of the things I've found is growing up isn't easy to do. You can remember little kids when they were growing rapidly, they would have, you know, it would hurt. It hurts to grow. And also in our own lives, we come across circumstances that you might even find yourself in right now, and it hurts. And God is using this to cause us to grow up in him. It amazes me how how quickly I can fall into what I call childlike or childish patterns or responses and reactions. And in fact, I was I was at the store just prior to this because the only time you can get Charmin is is during the early mornings and especially if you're at a certain age. And so I um obviously I'm not at age so I snuck in. No, just I um went to the store, got this, and I saw there was about eight of these. And so I'm hoping you're not going to turn off right now and run because I won't tell you what store, but there were about eight of these. I'll throw those out of the way, can't see them. And and I picked it I picked up one and I thought I should pick up another one because inside of me 
was this sense of scarcity. And they didn't have a sign that said only take one. I even asked the person at checkout. I was so tempted. Uh, can I take two? And, and she said, yeah, I guess. And, and I thought, you know what? What's going on here? Um, maybe God's calling me. Maybe God's calling you to check your responses as you journey so that you don't move to fear. But when you do move to fear, because we all will, it's kind of the warning side that something isn't right. But instead of turning to our childish reaction and grabbing because out of scarcity or whatever it might be, we grab onto God and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to follow you into the details because that's what these first two stories were about. The wilderness wanderings are really God's attempt as we look in it to cause us to grow up. They're examples for you and me. And so what we're going to do, and so kids, if you're watching, and I know we've got some material for you, I really want to encourage you to kind of follow along because as I get to the end of this, I'm going to give you some some points, four simple things that I think can help you move into joy in times when you're feeling lack or you're feeling you're not getting your way or you're feeling like God doesn't care. So we look at Exodus 17, and as we move into this, it's interesting, These this is the, the third set, and what you find is they've lacked water, they've wanted food, and now they're lacking water again. And, and you kind of go, wow, it seems to be the same test. You find that in your own life. God tests us. He proves our faith in circumstances, and we kind of go, didn't I lack water before? Didn't I? Wasn't I in this place? It's... I think growth is kind of like one of these switchbacks up a, a mountain. You kind of go up a bit and then you go and you go, well, I think I saw this scenery before. And then you go back. But you, each time, you didn't look like it necessarily, but you're moving closer and closer to the top. And I think that happens in our life with God. So I want to encourage you, take joy in the fact that you are, you're seeing maybe another test. It might be because God is seeking to prove even greater trust in a similar area that maybe you've been wounded in or, or there's been a hurt or there wasn't even a parenting figure to help you grow in that character place in your life. So Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, it begins, and it says, The Lord commands the whole, the whole community of Israel, um, at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. And it's this idea of the Lord's command is it's from the, it's actually in the Hebrew, according to the mouth of the Lord. So it, right in the beginning, you want to just see that God's the one directing them. So don't ever forget, it's not Moses, he's an intermediary. God's directing him from, from place to place. God has the ability to move you from place to place. He doesn't create the obstacles or, or the pain in that circumstance, but he'll move you to those places so you trust him and you begin to grow in your confidence and joy. So it says he moves from place to place. And if you look at Numbers chapter 9, 15 through 23, it shows you a few other places they stop. But he's highlighting the ones where they kind of come across this place of lack and where God is specifically teaching them to trust. So eventually, they camped at Rephidim, and Rephidim was was the last stop before Mount Sinai, where now God moves them into giving them a sense of his holiness and, and the sense of his will, so that you can walk in his joy according to the will that he's revealed. So, as we go on, that'll be later at weeks, but there was no water there for the people to drink. And, and, and that's not really, in the Hebrew, it's not that there's no water. It was just the water. It wasn't available to them. So once more, the people quarreled with Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. 
And, and note those two words, quarreled and demanded. The, the first two times, as we are looking at their journey through the wilderness, the first two times, they grumble. They have bad water. It's um, strong mineral taste is probably what they figured was going on in that well. They, they believe where that they stopped. Even today, they can kind of look at where those wells are, where there's a, a lot of mineral um, components to it. But they take it again that God doesn't care. They get mad at Moses and God... Through Moses, as he turns, listens, and follows him, God Torahs shows him a, a stick, a tree, and he throws it in. It becomes sweet water. And I'm not, not just rust-laden water, because God is the kind of God who really provides good things for his children. It's, it's not maybe Penta or Fiji or Evian in the sense of bottled waters, but it's more probably like Mountain Valley spring water. It's the best. Listen to Mountain Valley spring water. It's the highest award for bottled water. It has been a number of years. This Arkansas source spring water has been quenching thirst for since 1871 and been a favorite of everyone, from Presidents Coolidge and Eisenhower to Elvis Presley to Secretariat. Who else would you want to endorse this? It takes 3,500 years for rainwater to make its way to the aquifer with sweet flavors, incredibly high drinkability, rejuvenating buttermilk flavors, it tastes like it's been filtered through a geological treasure. All that to say that God's water is better than that. God provided them. Then they grumble again, second time. They're at this point where they've exhausted their food supply, so they complain, again, not to God, because they go to leaders, people they think should be responsible. And God, in that whole process, he doesn't seem to care. Moses doesn't seem to care. And God does this amazing thing through Moses, who turns to the Lord, listens to the Lord, does what he directs. And and this test is a little different. It's not just do those three things. Now, when I direct you, do exactly what I've told you to do because I'm going to show you how well I provide for you if you trust me and do what I say. And so what happens here is God drops from from the heavens what I would call honey-flavored manna croissants. And, and they're, they're eating this. And, and, and then at night, a cloud of, of quail come in from the south as they're migrating. And, and they grab them. And they have that at night. And here's what I want you to note. It's free. It does not cost them a bit. And it's every day. I mean, it's a camper's delight. You wake up in the morning and you, you just go out and you pick it up. And you eat it. You go out and you play all day and you come back at home and there it is. Your meat. Well, I want you to know it's changed this time. This time again, there's no water. They're up that switchback a little bit. And the text doesn't say there's no water as much as it says they couldn't get any of that water. It was probably great water. And the reason I say that is you go into the next section we'll look at next week about the prayer. It's a prayer of um, um, uh, as they are def- being um, in battle with the Amalekites. And more than likely what was happening is the Amalekites, as they were in that territory, came and posted their army and guards around that water so there's no way to get it. And here the children of Israel are afraid. It's pretty natural, right? You react. They won't get what they, they feel they need. And they move from grumbling here, note this, two times grumbling, to now they are quarreling. It's kind of a passive, aggressive whining to a, I'm going to fight and get what I want now. Where is it? You quarrel when you're not getting what you think you need or deserve. 
In fact, the word quarrel here is interesting in the Hebrew because it, it, it gives the idea of a legal procedure. It's not that they filed formal complaints. There's, there's a sense, the word is the idea that they're, they're filing informally a, quote, complaint against Moses and ultimately against God. And so you move from self-pity to demands. You want your, you want your needs met right now. And you want them met the way that you want them and you expect it. Notice this again. Moses says, quiet. Moses replied, why are you quarreling with me? And then he changes it here, and we'll get into this in a second. Why are you testing the Lord? Kind of underline that. That's the next thing we're going to talk about. But both of them, Moses' reply is, what's going on here? Why? What's the quarrel with? Why are you lodging a complaint against me? I really want you to notice this, especially in times like this, because when we are under fear and we are feeling lack and we are feeling um, any kind of sense of anxiety, our, our natural reactions is, is to be childish. It's to be, again, like little kids, and God is calling us to trust. And one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do is to be really um, aware that when you complain and you grumble or you quarrel, your first reaction is to want to quarrel with the leaders. For instance, it would be real easy for you to tune in this morning and, and start listening and go, well, this isn't exactly what I was hoping to get. This is not the meal I wanted. And, and to be upset maybe with people who design or put things together. I just want to tell you, um, I can tell you for a fact, every person here is seeking God as best they can and see God moving in this and doing what God has called to do. So really be careful about demands. Not just in, in worship, I just use that as an example. Um, be really careful about your demands, even in regard to spouses, and, and it happens all the time. Your, your quarrel and your fight is, you're not giving me what I need. And, and so often when you're in that place, the better place to go is rather than blame and move out, is to go, God, what is it in me? It's, it's, what, it's what was said in the very first of this journey and, and, and God said, here's the pattern I want you to follow. Do what Moses did. Turn to me, look into your heart, listen, and then do what I direct. And so I encourage you, as you think about what you're demanding, is to think through that. What are you quarreling about? What's your quarrel today? The second thing I said I was going to share with you <clears throat> is that the first two times, God's doing the testing. I think it's interesting. God's putting him in these situations or allowing them at least to be in these situations as they journey to the promised land, the destination we think of as a land, a physical land you're going to, which it was, but there's even more than that. God is preparing all of us to be in his presence forever, and part of that is what he's creating in us is a desire for his presence and to, to grow up. He wants all of us. He's destined all of us to look like Jesus Christ. So the first two times, God's testing them. He's proving their faith. This time it says they're testing God. Like Jesus when he's in the wilderness and he was for 40 days without food and water and, and Satan came to him and, it's, and he said, you know, just turn these you know, stones to bread. And, and, and at one point he says, get on top of the temple and, and jump down. Because the angels, and he quotes scripture, it, you know, it's really funny when you're even being tested, you can find scripture to back up whatever you want to do. And he, he says, the angels will come and they'll, from Psalm 34, they'll, they'll guide you and grab you and they'll bring you and you'll land and everyone will look and they'll go, wow. And he says, listen, and he quotes scripture. Don't test the Lord. I'm on a journey, and I'm going to do it with joy. I'm going to do it the way God has prescribed it to be done. I'm going to follow him. And right now, 
Jesus is kind of saying, I'm in a place where some of those needs aren't being met, but that's okay. I can die to that and allow God to do what he needs to do in my character. I really believe God's saying that to some of you. There's things you just got to die to you, as you look in, as you turn to God, because it's in the death of that that he begins to produce the likeness of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about not being good at communicating what your needs are and doing that. All that stuff needs to happen. I'm just talking about the kind of demand that says, out there, somehow, if you do this, then I'll be better. That's a lie. God's being tested this time by them. God might be subtly, you don't even realize it, by demanding something from someone else. You may be actually testing God. I want us to take a moment, and, and I realize some parents, you have kids there, um, this might be a little difficult, but kids, so would you kind of let your parents have a, a few minutes of, of space? Um, I want you just to take a moment to actually do this, practice this. Think about what you're demanding. There's an app by a guy named John Eldridge who talks about take a pause, and you can look it up on your own, www.pauseapp.com. I know some people have used it in this time, it's been really helpful. It's kind of just a way to stop and meditate. And so what I want you to do in this moment, we're going to go to a, a just a short, about a 30-second clip. I'm going to appeal to you. I, w- I want you to think about what you're demanding. And you're just saying, I need this from you. I, I need this, God. I'm not even realizing, but I'm putting you to the test. And God is saying, I want you to let go of it and give it to me. I just want you to take about 30 seconds to, to give this to God. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. What do you need to let go of? That's my question to you. What do you need to let go of? I want you to stay with me for a few more minutes because I'm going to actually tell you one of the things you can put in your hands so that you can actually grab hold of God in a um, more constructive, practical way. But we got to continue in in this message because it's interesting. I really wish the people, those what they call the children of Israel. I think there's a reason they're the children is because God's growing them up like he's growing me up. I mean, I, I don't have a lot to judge in that sense. I demand God. I just, at times I'll just go, I can't believe I'm standing there demanding God again. I'm blaming others and, and not looking in and saying, God, what are you using this time to cause me to grow in it? It feels so tormenting at times when you're not getting what you think you deserve. I wish they had this app, but they didn't. Um, It says as you go on in verse 3, but tormented, that's a great word for the lack you might feel, but tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? This is an interesting accusation. Because Moses does what he always does. Oh man, if I could learn to do this. Rather than to react and and go after someone else, 
or think I can get it from someone else. Moses sets the pattern for our lives. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. He just cried out to the Lord. What do you want me to do with these people? And and then listen to this. This isn't a little thing, folks. When we feel tormented, we, we don't realize sometimes how we go after people. They are ready to stone me. That's the perspective that Moses has. He's just trying to lead the people the way God, as it says, has mouthed out the directions and he's just leading them and they're ready to stone him. It says, the Lord said to Moses, here's what I want you to do because he listens and now he gets the directions. Walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you use when you struck the water of the Nile, which isn't important. The staff is the authority of God, but also the power of God. Because part of learning to who God is and, and walking in who we are is where our authority and where the power of God comes. So you've done this before, Moses. He's saying to you, you've done this before in other places. Take the staff, take the authority and, 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 and allow me to release the power. So he struck the water of the, when he struck the water of the Nile. And some of the elders of Israel, have them join you. And I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock. And, and I want you to just understand, and we're not going to have time to go into this, but the rock is, is also an allusion to Christ. First Corinthians, if you look at chapter 10, uh, that chapter, verse 4 specifically, says that they drank, as Paul says it, from the spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. There's a prefiguring. Before even, the, listen to this, before the law is given, they are to drink from the rock, because out of our relationship you get through knowing who God is and, and understanding who you are because of what Jesus Jesus has done puts you in a place where you then can actually walk out the law. So that's kind of an interesting thing where it's here. So before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, strike the rock and the water will come gushing out. And you kind of go, what is that like? Well, they have found in places that there are just waters in, in some of these desert areas that are just under places of rocks. And, and when they hit it, it can break forth and, and, and then they dig it out and the water can come. Then the people will be able to drink. So here they are. The wells that have the great water are being guarded by the Amalekites. God's going to have to deal with that group soon. But first, he's going to get them the water they need. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out, and elders looked on. And then it says, Moses named the place Massah, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing. There was a testing of God. There was an arguing of God. Because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, here's the test, here's the fight. Is the Lord here with us or not? Now let me just explain that. It's the the last question is really an indirect way of saying, does God really care about us or not? Here we are again. More directly, it's an accusation. It's an informal lodging of a complaint. Where's God now? Doesn't he see what's happening with us? Look at our situation. Doesn't he care? I mean, where is God? Is he here or not? And I I honestly, and I read that, you can move to a place, if you're feeling a little self-righteous, and go, man, what idiots, what dumb People, didn't they get it? They could all they saw. And I just go, no. 
They're just very human. They're like you and me. And if you don't understand right now this life that you're walking, this journey is about learning to have joy in who God is and who he's created us to be so that we can really grow up in him, we're going to live like this quite often. And, and you will be on a roller coaster of joy. You will experience joy when things are good. And when it gets bad again, you're going to start going, well, where's God? He sure doesn't care about me. And then it gets good again. And God's trying to move it to stabilize it out and say, no, it's not about what's happening outside you. It's about who I am. That's the one thing that is a rock that will never change. That's the idea of a rock. It's stable. It's secure. It never changes. I'm a rock for you that will provide water for whatever your thirst is, no matter where you're at, because of who you are. Not because of who you are in, in necessarily of yourself, although there's value, God created you with value. But the value that comes because you are his child, your identity is in him. You know, scientific studies um, show, that they actually show that the human brain is trained to focus on what we lack. Think about that for a second. Scientific studies will show you that the, the brain, in a sense, is trained on what we lack. So what we don't have. Uh, and, and, and if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because uh, if any of you have little babies right now or grandparents, you hold babies or some of you brothers or sisters have a younger child, you just know what happens. When, when the baby cries, it's feeling hungry. And when it cries, it looks for it to be filled by a loving parent. And when the baby's um, not, you know, is wet or is um, tired or just all these different, you just kind of watch and go, oh. It's, it's calling out of its need because of the lack for a loving parent to do possibly something for that child. And that's hardwired into us as little kids. We're infants. And so we begin to, to feel that. So when we move into a time of lack, one of the natural things for us to do is to focus on what we lack. So right now, if you're in a situation, what's happening with our world? Our focus is on what? And, and I'm not saying it shouldn't be rightfully on the coronavirus, but so often it's on what is what we're lacking, what's hitting against us. And God says when that happens, the reason you focus on your lack is because I'm trying to train you, even in this, to turn to me, look in your heart and listen, and then do as I call you to do. And trust me. Trust me that I'm a good and loving father. And that's why I, I look at my own life, and, and you might be thinking the same, that spiritually, this is a time to grow up. This is a time to develop the character of joy. You know, one of the things that you read in the, in the, in, in the Word of God, it says in Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Some translators will say it's love, which is joy. Love contains love, it contains peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all these other things. But the very first thing from love, when you understand deeply God's love, should be joy. And so, what I want you to think about is when you experience lack, there is a, a, a opportunity there. Don't look at it as an obstacle. It's an opportunity for God to prove his, his faith to you and to develop and grow your faith up in him and to move into joy. So here's what I want you to think about. Next time, or if you're in that place of lack, there's a way that you can do this. Because a lot of times when people say, hey, I've had this, you know, you just choose joy. It's really hard, folks, to choose joy. 
What you have to do is to choose a path that allows joy to begin to, to flow in our hearts. And what does that mean? Well, it means, I think, one of the first things I encourage you to do is to establish a practice of thanksgiving. That's what I want to do. I'm going to talk about four things. So kids, if you're listening, these are really four important things. You need to, instead of focus on the lack, celebrate God and his gifts that he has provided. And so the first I want you to think about it is celebrate God's simple gifts. That's one of the first things. You, you experience lack. Here's one of the things you can do. Here's a path you can take. Every one of us can do this every day. Every moment of every day. Because we've all been given simple gifts. One of those gifts is simply you're alive. You're actually listening to this. Or you're trying to. If you've got kids or family and things moving around. The children of Israel, if you think about it, they were a massive group of refugees, some 600,000 men and then women and children as well, walking in a desert. And one of the first simple gifts they could have looked at in this sense of, of this lack is, I actually have hunger pains. I actually do thirst. I'm alive. None of them were experts in survival training. And look, they're this far into the desert already. They're actually enjoying the gift of breathing. Just think about it. We've seen enough of things on TV. Ask any coronavirus survivor, and they will tell you, do not take lightly the ability to just breathe in. Just do that. Breathe in and to exhale. And to do that even without thinking. You could just take time. If you want to move into joy and, and begin to say, okay, I, I'm in this place of lack and my natural tendency, because you actually hardwire in your brain this path and you'll do it over and over again until God comes in and you allow him to break it by a new path, which is Thanksgiving. And you just say, God, I'm going to make a list of simple gifts today as I walk through my life. Helen Keller, she has a, a book that I, a little book called Optimism. And I've always been just um, fascinated by her life. And, and she, the simple gifts that just I will often walk by, she just seemed to see and experience in ways that I would have never. You know, she was um, two years old when she was struck blind and deaf. So she, here she is not able to see and she's not able to hear. And yet she probably experienced the miracle of simple gifts better than most of us. She writes, I, I who cannot see find hundreds of things to interest me through mere touch. I feel the delicate symmetry of a leaf. I pass my hands lovingly about the smooth skin of a silver birch or the rough shaggy bark of a pine. I feel the delightful velvety texture of a flower and discover its remarkable convolutions and something of the miracle of nature is revealed to me. I just go, God, thank you. That's one of the things, if you want, if you want a journey with joy, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is celebrate God's simple gifts. The second thing I want you to do is, and it's also true in their life, is celebrate God's past gifts. Celebrate what God has done. When you begin to focus on what you don't have, focus on what you have because of what God has done. Israel, again, we're called the children of Israel for a reason. They failed to recall past gifts, and I'm not talking past gifts that were 20, 30 years ago. I'm talking past gifts that were two, three days ago. And again, I don't come down on them because I know that's how I felt. It's really interesting. Psalm 78 is a commentary on, on Israel's um, reaction, and it's written years later. And it says um, simply that this is an example for us. 
He says this, they forgot his wonderful works and the miracles of the past, even their exodus from Egypt, the epic miracle of his might. They forgot the glories of his power at the place of passing over. And God split the sea wide open, and the water stood at attention on either side, and as the people passed through. And the mercy bread of manna fell, and the grain of grace fell from the clouds, and heavenly winds of miracle power blew in their favor, and food rained down upon them. Succulent quail quieted their hunger as they all ate what they wanted. Food fell from the sky, thick as clouds. Their provision floated down right in front of their eyes, and he gave them all that they desired, and they ate to their fill. And in their hearts, though, they tested God just to get what they wanted. Like spoiled children, they grumbled against God himself, demanding he prove his love by saying, can't God provide for us in this barren wilderness? I know for me, one of the things that I journal, and I've talked with some of the guys who are in my my guys group, some of them have done this, where they've journaled, and, and I just take and I list things that God has done, because it, in those times when I start listing what he's done, it helps me realize he can do it again. Celebrate God's present gifts. Be grateful for what you have right now. There's simple gifts that you see as you walk and you live through life. There's past gifts, but then there's present gifts. This is what you have right now in this very moment. Our focus seems to be on what we don't have. It was just a... Uh, about a week or so ago, I um, for the last couple months, I've been kind of missing my two grandchildren, two little grandsons, and 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 our, that that family, my, my both my kids, and some of you have experienced this, have quarantined and quarantined hard because of little kids, kids, one who my daughter is pregnant, and so it's been kind of this, you just kind of do the Zoom thing, and 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 so just the last week. Um, my uh, my daughter and her husband came over and uh, our two little grandsons and and they must have been well trained because my oldest one weighed about three and the other one's about eight months and and and, and my uh, little grandson Wit you know st- stood there and we have masks on and um, normally I'd pick them up and bring them down and show them the horses and let them pet their nose and do that stuff. But I had to stand while his parents were holding him and we were six feet apart. And, and then we moved from that place up to the backyard, looked at some of the stuff and preparing for the garden, some flowers. And then we sat down. I sat down in a chair as they were playing with the dogs. And and at one point, a little wit, like I said, he's about two, almost three years age, standing about four feet from me and his mom about six feet. And he looks at me and he goes, Papa, can I sit on your lap? And uh, I uh, looked at my daughter with tears in my eyes. I was wondering what she would direct me to do in a sense. And she had tears in her eyes and she just shook her head. Yeah. I said, oh, sure it would. And he sat on my lap and we sat like that for two weeks. No, just kidding. Um, We sat like that for a, a good period of time. And I just remember thinking, I just, I, I don't want to forget that. You see, I wasn't expecting, I wasn't demanding anything. I was just saying, God, I'll be in the moment and I'll just look for present gifts. It was gift enough just to have them in our yard. I got to tell you, sometimes when you take your eyes off the lack and you just say, God, well, you're present for what he might want to do. But if I was demanding for things, I don't think it would have ever been there. I'm just going to encourage you, celebrate what is the gifts you got right now. 
And then the last thing I just want to encourage you to do. So kids, if you've been listening, it's, it's this simple gifts of breathing and just being alive. And there's, there's past gifts of where you've seen God work. In, and, and you might need to ask your parents, how's, how's God worked in my life? May that be a good thing to do after this. And then after that, I just want to think about what you actually have so that you have space for God to do something where he reveals himself. And then celebrate the gift of God himself. Over that past month, as Israel had been journeying, now they're about two months into it, they have experienced God in new ways. And every time they experienced God in a new way, they gave him a name. They had never seen God as a warrior like they did when they went through the Red Sea. And they said, he's the warrior God. He fights for us. And then as they go through there, they say, he's a shepherd God. He's leading us. And then they begin to experience him in a a way they hadn't seen either. And they go, he's the king who rules over all of us, not just now, but forever. And, And as they're going along, this whole journey is, they said, he's the God who's healing us. He's the God healing you. He's taking your lack, allowing you to be tested in it, so that when you start to complain, you can go, wait a second, that won't lead to joy. It won't lead to what God wants to do in and through me to touch other lives. I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to begin to look in. I'm going to listen. And I'm going to start looking at and listing by thanksgiving the practical things that God wants to do. So here's what I want you to do. I want to make this really practical. Um, And so whenever you're a person and you're preparing for something, you're supposed to bring everything with you. Well, the one thing I forgot was this practical illustration. But I think you can get this. What I want you to think about as you go through the day, I want you to grab maybe three pennies or three coins and put them in your right pocket. It doesn't matter, left or right. Put them in a pocket. And I want you through the day, you know, so for some of you, three is going to be great. Some of you are going to be really ambitious. You know, you're, you're the kind of overachiever. You're going to want to do five pennies. Just three times throughout the day, maybe from eight to noon, look for an opportunity and, and intentionally be thankful. Or when you begin to feel a lack, Begin to go, okay, I'm going to think of something and I'll be thankful. I'm going to practice thankfulness because I know it leads to joy. They're cousins. If you move to thankfulness, you will experience joy. And then take that penny and then, or coin and put it in the other pocket. And then from 12 to about 5, I want you to do the same thing. Just stay intentional. When you feel lack, or and maybe you're looking at your situation, you're getting negative, because what happens is it's not just the lack, it's the fear of lack. So when you feel the fear of lack, grab that coin, take it, and then be thankful for something and, and begin to praise God for that or, or thank God for who he is, that he's a rock, he doesn't change, and you are his son, you are his daughter, and put it in the other pocket. And then later at night, from five to sometime, take at, at some point that last coin and intentionally do it again. I really believe if you begin to practice that, because thankfulness will lead to joy. And it may be right now, Listen, it may be right now God is saying get off the roller coaster. And I want to tell you, it doesn't happen immediately, but he begins to make those become more of a um, regular uphill course towards God. So get off the roller coaster. Grab a few pennies and and move them over and, and begin to practice. Grab a journal. Start listing them. Start your day that way. I don't care. Do whatever it takes to allow God to prove through you that this truth, God is for you.
He is not against you. God loves you. And right now you might be in a place where you're going, I just, I blew it. God forgives you. And he gives you life through Jesus Christ. All he asks you to do is to humbly say, I want you, Jesus, to create within me that kind of character that you yourself, Jesus, have. I can promise you he'll do it.